Last time, Dave Wurtson began our study of the permanence of the marriage bond. God's heart, His ideal will, is absolutely no divorce. But He also recognizes that human hard-heartedness can flaunt His heart and innocent victims can be left bleeding. God presents His counsel about situations where there has been immorality and where there are other causes for marital difficulty. Throughout 1 Corinthians 7, there is a stress on the potential for reconciliation. Let's join Dave as he discusses verses 10 and 11. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not divorce from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Paul is picking up the same stress against breaking the seventh commandment. The exception clause in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 would not come under this clause that Paul is saying. What Paul is talking about is other divorces, not because of immorality, but because it didn't work out, because the personality conflict became too strong. He's not stressing at all that divorce should take place, but he's saying if it does, because of the hardness of heart, Then two believers that get divorced like that, those two believers might not be able to work out their marriage, but if they get divorced, then they're to remain single or else be reconciled. You say, well, Dave, why does Paul talk like that? You need to understand this. The heartbeat of your life needs to be a person of reconciliation. It needs to be about reconciling relationships. You and I need to be a place where we never quit on people. My own human personality, Dave's personality, does quit. But the Spirit of God brings me back in my prayer time again and again and again to pray for those ones that are wandering. You know why? Because we need to be a place of togetherness, of renewal of relationships, of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians says this. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Now, what kind of reconciliation is that? The world is at enmity with God. The world is angry with God. There's a part of me that gets angry with God. There's a part of you that gets angry with God. We are by nature people of hatred of anger, of animosity, of broken relationships. If you do what comes naturally, you'll break every relationship you ever get into. So will I. But Christ comes into our life. And what does Christ do? He makes someone that's always blaming everything on God, always angry with God. When Christ comes into our life, He causes that person to fall in love with God. It causes a person who had no peace, just all kinds of unrest and vehement controversy deep in their life. When Christ comes in, he starts to cause them to walk down a pathway of reconciliation, of the renewal of relationship, of the appeasement of anger, of the joy of love. Now, why does Satan work so hard on our marriages? Why do you try to divide them? What kind of a witness of reconciliation are we throughout our area if our marriages blow up and we just end them 
and move on to another relationship and there's no reconciliation? What kind of a witness are we? You see, how can I tell someone, hey, Christ can help you to be reconciled. Christ can help you to work through relationships. It begins by working through this vertical relationship with God. And that enables us to reconcile horizontal relationships with people. How can we be a witness of that if believers can't work out their marriages? That's what Paul stresses. Now, this is what I want you to see. You know what your concern is? You know what my concern is in modern America? What's good for me? What brings me pleasure? What's going to bring me the most happiness? It's one of the most powerful forces in my life and in your life. From the youngest kids, teenagers, what are you really looking for in life? And if the bottom line is, I want to do what makes me happy, I want you to hear me. Listen, if you make your goal in life to do what makes you happy, you're never going to be happy. Because you will do one stupid thing after another. Somebody asked me, what's the hardest thing in the pastorate? The hardest thing in the pastorate is to watch us do stupid, disobedient things against the love of God revealed in His Word. I was thinking about it again this morning. One of the hardest things for us to get a hold of is that God really wants the best for us. You see, you young men will meet a girl. She's not a believer. The Scripture says you shouldn't marry an unbeliever. You say, but boy, I really want her. Man, she's the most beautiful creature I ever saw. She would make me really happy. I know God says not, but this is just one exception. So you have the exception. Five years later, you'll be in my office, and the whole thing will be blown apart. It won't work. And you say, why wouldn't it work? Because God is the one that loves you. He's the author of togetherness. He's the author of what is good for you. You can't break what he tells you to do and have it all work out. So what we all have to watch out for is that rebelliousness. Whether it's a young man and a young woman that's debating doing something that's against the plan of God. Or whether it's a married couple that's debating about what they want. And by the way, Brothers and sisters, your feelings are the greatest rationalizers you've ever met. Your feelings can guarantee that you're doing the right thing. I promise you that. You'll be in a marriage. It's like, you know, I won't even say what it's like in that marriage. You know what it's like. Terrible marriage. You say, man, God couldn't want me in this marriage. This believer turned out to be unbelievably terrible. Boy, I just can't work this out. God must want us to end it. No, Paul says if you get divorced, then you've got to give it time because the Holy Spirit is in your life. If there's two believers, the Holy Spirit's in both of their lives, so we've got a chance. And that Holy Spirit is a spirit of reconciliation. We can work it out over time. And I want you to see Paul's pastoral graciousness. He doesn't throw these believers out of the church that got divorced. And we shouldn't either. He doesn't say, well, here's two believers that couldn't work it out. They get divorced. Kick them out. We don't want them here on Sunday morning. We only have ideal people here. Paul doesn't say that. Paul says the church needs to be a healing place. So we give them space. We give them time. We pray. We ask the Lord to produce reconciliation. And the Holy Spirit can do that.
So that's the case of believers that are married together. Now, what about another case? What about a believer that's married to an unbeliever? What about a situation like that? A lot of you got into that situation because a lot of you were unbelievers when you were saved. I mean, well, all, all of you are unbelievers when you were saved. See, that's how I tell whether or not you're still listening, by how long it takes you to... No, that's not. That's a lie. I'm sorry. I goof. What about the case of a mixed marriage? Now, I'm talking about a mixed marriage, a believer married to an unbeliever. What does Paul say this? In verse 10, to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. Now I'm talking about a situation Paul says the Lord didn't cover. Verse 12, to the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. The unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? The Apostle Paul in these verses is dealing with a very difficult situation of a believer that finds himself married to an unbeliever. In Jewish circles, there would be a strong stress upon dissolving that relationship. For example, if you go back to the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they were intermarried with non-Jewish people, they were to dissolve the marriage. When proselytes to Judaism in the first century, if you were a Gentile, you became a proselyte to Judaism, many times there would be an encouragement to dissolve the relationship. Some of the Corinthians evidently were saying to a believer that was in a marriage with an unbeliever, some of the Corinthians were telling that believer, you ought to get out of that relationship because the relationship is unclean. They might even have used some of Paul's teaching, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. From 2 Corinthians, we're going to read that. And so they might have said, you're a believer. Now you become a believer. You're married to an unbeliever. You need to get out. I want you to hear what Paul says because it's so important. Because I work with a lot of people. A wife will come to know the Lord or a husband will come to know the Lord. And the other partner doesn't. And the believer can feel, oh, I want to have a happy Christian home. I want to be married to a believer. i got to get out of this relationship. Real easy to feel that way, especially if it's a tough period in the marriage. Paul says, consistent with his teaching again, even that marriage to an unbeliever is a vital marriage before the Lord God. Don't dissolve the marriage with an unbeliever. The believer is not to divorce the unbeliever. You say, why not? Man, I'm unhappy. It's not working out. Man, that's going to be a real rub because of the fact that we disagree about the most important things in life. That's true. And Christ really can be divisive. But remember, the believer is to be a source of what? Reconciliation. A believer is supposed to be a source of? Tell me. Reconciliation. What is a believer's concern? The believer's concern is for the salvation of people. They want to see people saved. Now, what is Paul saying? A very difficult verse. He says, you need to stay in that marriage. Why? Because the believer sanctifies 
the unbelieving partner and the children, makes them holy. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean he makes them saved? No. Because Paul finished the passage by saying, what do you know? Maybe you'll be able to save your partner. So the Apostle Paul does not say that the unbeliever is saved just because they're living with a believer. Just living with a believer won't make anybody saved. That's a personal decision. So what does Paul mean when he says that they're sanctified or made holy? The idea of sanctifying holy in the Old Testament was used of articles that were used in the temple. And they would declare them sanctified. They were used in the place of worship. They were near the presence of God. And the word sanctify or holy could be used in that sense of nearness, set apart to be close to God in His holy temple. Okay? Now, what have we learned in the book of Corinthians? What's the temple in the New Testament? Is it in Jerusalem? Sometimes it is. If believers are in Jerusalem, then the temple's there. But is the temple here? How many think the temple's right here today? How many think it isn't? Well, I know you're confused because you think I'm talking about the building. I'm looking at the temple. If you have Christ in your heart, if you're a born-again believer in the sense that you have received Christ in your heart, you are the temple of God. So you're living in a home with an unbeliever. What does that mean about the unbeliever's nearness to the presence of God, to a, a very immediate presence of the power of God, of the redemptive work of God? It means they're close to it because you're in the home. And that's what Paul is saying. And Paul is saying to us as believers, if we're in a relationship where we're married to an unbeliever, He's saying we should not dissolve that relationship. We have many precious wives and precious husbands who might even be here today alone because your partner's not with you spiritually. Many of them are unbelievers. And Paul says to you today, we don't want to dissolve that relationship because the preeminent concern is the salvation of the spouse. That's our heart. That's what we really want to see. That's what we want to see happen in their lives. And, you know, that speaks to all of us. In studying this passage, the heartbeat to see people saved. I think all of us need to ask ourselves the question, is that my concern? Do I want to see my spouse saved? Do I have an unbelieving partner? Do I want to see my kids saved? You know what a good way to tell whether we have our priorities right and whether we're really in love with the Lord? It's whether or not we really want to see people saved. You see, one of the great dangers, you can easily develop a nice, warm culture. You can meet one another's needs. But you can lose the concern to see people saved. The power of presenting the reality of what Christ has done. And we get some very deep instruction from the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is saying to a believing wife that's married to an unbelieving husband or vice versa, he's saying that my concern for that home, for the children and for dad or for the unbelieving dad or mom is I want to see them saved. And your presence in the home is the presence of God in the home, the presence of Christ. First Peter goes on and talks about winning the unbelieving partner without even a word. And our church needs to be a great encouragement 
And we need to pray fervently for the salvation of these unbelieving spouses. So that's the idea. We want to see them saved. But let's suppose the unbeliever wants to leave. Then what do we do? Paul says if the unbeliever wants to leave, then let them leave. He says the believer in that situation is not bound. They're not bound to what Paul just said, that the believer is not to get divorced. If a believer is married with an unbeliever, the unbeliever is not pleased to dwell with them. They want out of the relationship because coming to Christ can be one of the biggest dividing forces in a life. The Apostle Paul says, then let them leave. And the believer would not be bound to that relationship anymore. Paul, in this context, really doesn't teach about the question of remarriage, which is such a vital concern in our own culture. But in light of what we've learned about the exception clause in Matthew and the way that the Jewish people thought about divorce, if a divorce was recognized as legitimate, remarriage would just be assumed. And so it might indirectly speak to that issue. What I want you to understand is let's not get into minuscule legal debate about what the text says because our text closes today again. If you look at it in 1 Corinthians 7, even after making this concession, after making this concession, Paul says this in verse 16. After the exception in verse 15, he says, How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? In other words, even after talking about the fact that the unbeliever might dissolve the relationship, he comes back to his preeminent concern, and that is the salvation of the unbeliever. Our priority needs to be a concern for unbelievers to be saved, not our personal happiness. I want to make really clear, from the smallest child to the oldest adult, what I'm concerned about is that every one of you have met Christ. My concern is for you to personally know Jesus Christ. That's my heart. I want you to meet the Savior personally who died for you. I want you to believe from the depths of your being that He rose again from the dead. And I want you to put all of your hope for forgiveness in what He did for you. And my primary goal as a pastor is to help you in that relationship. I don't want you to have just an emotional experience. I don't want to just get you high. I want you to meet this living reality, this person called Jesus. And I want to help you to do that. What I'm concerned about is you and the integrity of your life. That's what holds you together as a couple. There's lots of struggle and joy and pleasure in a marriage. But what holds you all together that have been married a long time is that commitment to the unity of your faith. That's why you don't marry an unbeliever. And please, moms and dads, train your children in that. You need to do the training. From the time that they're little, little kids, why you don't marry an unbeliever. And explain it to them. Don't just give it to them as a command. They might not listen. You can't control that. But you need to teach them why we don't get yoked together with an unbeliever. Then we also need to teach the permanence of marriages are to be a witness to the reconciling power of Christ. The permanence of our marriage relationships needs to be a witness to the reconciling power of Christ. And finally, I say this to all of you, Christ will forgive. Some of you say as we close today, you say, Dave, I've already blown it. Nobody ever taught you 
You went to church and you heard nice little ditties. You didn't sit for 45 minutes and go through the verses line upon line. You learned nice Reader's Digest stories and you got married. You didn't have an idea about marrying a believer, an unbeliever. You didn't even know what an unbeliever, a believer was. God takes you right where you are. And you haven't blown it because Christ can forgive. If you've sinned against the Lord, go to the cross and ask for forgiveness. You say, man, I got divorced. It was horrible. Man, I did it all wrong. It was all my fault. I'm, I was even involved in an affair. What can Christ do with me now? He can forgive you. That's why he died. You say, well, Dave, then you just contradicted everything you just said. If it can be right again, then there's no ideal. Yes, there is an ideal. That's why there's a cross. That's why Christ shed his blood. Because none of us live the ideal. But through his blood, we are cleansed. We are then changed. And then we go on to live. You might have been married, divorced, married, divorced. Now you're married again. And you've both become believers now. I believe with all my heart, God can take that marriage through the reconciling power of Christ and you can become a glowing light. A glowing light of what it means to be close to the Savior. Some of you are in situations you didn't want to get divorced. Your partner just walked out on you. Or your partner was immoral. We must not be a place that makes those people feel uncomfortable. It's so hard for us to present what we're saying today. It's always hard to understand grace. It's so hard to go working through the ideal, some of the exceptions, some of the practical teaching, but then close with forgiveness. Some of you that are legalists will never understand. Some of you that are licentious, you won't understand either. But I'm looking for some of you that will really go to the Savior that loves you, that died for you, that rose again. He's the only one that can help us to understand how precious the permanent marriage bond is, but how loving and renewing and gracious He can be even in the midst of broken relationships. And we can only be biblical when we're right in the center of the grace of God.